0: So um, the first two weeks, we're talking about marriage, and we're talking about what marriage looks like or should look like or could look like, and then we're going to spend a few weeks talking about what it looks like to parent, how we parent in terms of what it looks like to be a, a parent who tries to parent as a Christian, and then we'll talk two weeks about what it looks like for us to live life together as a church and how that plays into our family life. Um, and so this morning, I, I mentioned we we're talking about marriage, so today you may say, well, I'm not married. Um, that's okay. You, you don't have to be. Yeah, the Bible actually says it's okay not to get married. So if you think that that's really important, you're, you're okay. Um, if you say, well, I, I've been married or I'm getting married, that's okay as well. We'll, we'll kind of address that some. And and I want to say this this morning, that you say, well, I, I'm, I'm not married. I don't know if I'm going to get married or whatever. And the, here's what I would say to that. The new job is to encourage those who are or who might become married Um and the role of everyone, married, single, is the same. We believe in the church that the goal is to seek after being like Jesus. And so that um, we're going to talk kind of what marriage looks like. And, and maybe I would say that marriage is one of the most talked about topics. Uh, you walk through a, a grocery store. We admired last night. It's no different there. You see so-and-so cheated on so-and-so. It's in People Magazine or Us Weekly or one of the other tabloids that are there. And so you can see, oh, well, what's, their marriage is falling apart. It may not even be falling apart, but we're going to hear about it. And, and maybe you think of marriage in terms of television and in terms of movies, and so there's probably on right now, if you were to go home, you could probably turn on the TV and find Jerry Maguire on some channel on television right now. And if you watch the movie, there's this scene in the movie where Jerry comes back into the house, and, and I, I think it's Renee is the actress, and, and he comes in and he looks at her and he's got kind of these teary eyes, and he says, you complete me, and all the women in the room just swoon, and, and Jerry runs across the room, and that's just not true, by the way, that's not real. It's a movie. Um, But see, we we buy into kind of like two pictures of marriage in movies. We either buy into this ultra-romantic, like unbelievable, no one can sustain this way of romanticism, or we buy into like marriage is such a joke and we mock it. And really, those are the two examples we often see on TV. Rarely do we see great pictures of marriage. There are a few exceptions out there, but not very often. See, I was, I was tempted this morning, and I, I'm not going to, I was tempted to have everyone stand who's been married more than 10 years, um, and then have you, have you stay standing if you've never had a problem in your marriage. But see, I would really be exactly where we are right now if I did that, because that's what would happen. See, marriage, we, we begin to ask these kinds of questions, like um, we use stereotypes sometimes even. We, we say things like, uh, you know, well, that's my old ball and chain. Um, or, or we say things like, uh, well, I'm going to your wedding, I'm in your funeral, I mean, I, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say. Or, or we say, well, I know who is the pants in the family. Or, we make all these kinds of jokes, these stereotypical jokes, as a way of trying to deflect from the value of marriage. And we, we don't always do it intentionally, but that's often what the culture has created around us, and we've probably been as guilty of that as anyone. See, you we begin to ask other kinds of questions, like, well, what does it take for me to, to make my marriage last? Or how can I be a better husband or wife? Or, why isn't my spouse being what I need them to be? Or, what is a Christian marriage anyway? And so, we could ask all kinds of questions. And I want to be very careful here. I want to say this up front, and I missed it in the last service, and I won't in this one, but when I say Christian marriage, I think that's a better word than saying a biblical marriage. Because you can argue for all kinds of bad marriages in the Bible, but but the Christian perspective of what marriage looks like through scripture is much, much healthier. So I just want to preface that. So don't use the phrase biblical marriage because it's not a good one. Um, in fact, I don't think we should be defined by that. But, but I watched marriages as a kid all kinds of models. I saw before me, I saw some great ones, I saw some bad ones. As a pastor, I hear some of your stories. I'll never share them. Uh, some of them are good, some of them are bad. And, and I, I remember even as a kid being shaped by some pictures on the wall in my parents' house. My mom had these like artsy crafts kind of things. I don't know. They're from the, the Covered Bridge Festival in Indiana. If you want to go sometime, I hear it's great. I, they have great food. Um, but, but one said, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Right? And so we would laugh like, amen. I, I got an amen in the last service. I, I'm okay with not one here. And then the, the phrase next to that said, if daddy ain't happy, nobody cares. Um, it's a bad example of marriage. My parents didn't really model that, but I think they thought it was funny. I, I, I really don't the more I think about marriage. I don't think it's that funny. You know, in fact, um, w- when, when Katie and I met, it was kind of this, this um, we dated for a very short period of time, and, and so I knew, I, I took her dad to play, play golf, and, and I asked him, I said, can, can I marry your daughter? And uh, he didn't answer me for like six hours. Put a hole down to golf, we were sitting at dinner that night, and I said, Steve, I, you know, you've hinted all day that the answer was yes but you've never really answered the question, can I marry your daughter? He goes, oh, well, yeah, that's fine. I thought I already said that. Uh, no, believe me, I would have known had you said that. I've been sweating all day long. Um, it's not that hot outside. And so he said, well, here, I'm going to give you the best piece of marriage advice I have, and I and I use this at most weddings, and, and there's some truth to it, and there's also some lightheartedness to it that we need to be careful with, and it's this, it's happy wife, happy life. I say, I say that, serious, because my goal is to make my wife happy as much as I can, but, but the truth is her happiness is not dependent upon me. You know, I can make no one else happy, ever. It's not possible. No matter how much we try, we cannot make another person happy. And so we begin to ask these kinds of questions. And so when Katie and I first got married, like I said, we didn't date for a long time, but we went to premarital counseling, and we both remember it very differently, and that's okay. Um, but after the fact, we, we found that, that marriage got really, really hard. Really hard. So hard, in fact, that we saw a counselor for about a year and weren't sure we were going to make it. I I think both of us probably had days where we weren't sure we wanted to make it. But you've got two stubborn people who are both committed enough to not want it to fail. And I I kept reminding myself of some things that were said on our wedding day and some things I repeated. Uh, My grandfather officiated the wedding. He, He said this phrase, for better or for worse, and I remembered that. I thought, well, I hope it doesn't get any worse than this. I don't think it can. And I remember thinking, I made this covenant between God and, and this woman that I would be faithful to her, and I would stay committed to her no matter what. I, I, I made this covenant between God and I, and so I, I knew I needed to see that through. And I have to tell you, and I, I, I do want to tell you, that I love my wife more today than I ever have, and I think she loves me more than she ever has, but you probably have to ask her that. I've learned not to speak for her. Um, it's really a bad idea. But I, I started to find, and I did ask her if I could share that today, because I've learned that that's a bad idea when I don't do that, um, but we began asking these questions about marriage and this question of what, what does the Bible say about marriage, and how, how are we to live into a kind of a marriage that, that God wants for us, and what should that look like, and, and I have to tell you, we, we sometimes get some bad examples, and in fact, the text I'm going to use today has been often used in really poor ways. In fact, I use it at almost every single wedding I officiate, and I use it for particular reasons, and I'm going to tell you those reasons today, but it's quoted and misquoted all the time. It's, it's through Ephesians chapter 5, and it will be there in just a second, beginning with verse 21. But the reason it's, we sometimes miss this passage or how important this is, is Paul is writing to, the church, to, to those in Ephesus, and he's writing this letter. This letter he's writing, he's writing it for particular reasons. Often he writes to, to a group of people to address an issue. This letter he's not. It's much like the letter to the church in Rome. He's writing just to give practical advice for what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's the goal of the letter. It's not to address certain issues in a certain church, which often he's doing here. He just wants to say, hey, here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so here's what he writes. If you'd stay with me this morning as we read from Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The word of the Lord. You You may be seated. Now like I said, this is often a misused passage, and I want to briefly address, there's a section in there that says, um, until we leave the mother and father and they shall become one. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week, and Jesus even references that passage as well, but we won't talk about it today. But but like I said, it's misused because what we're here quoted is, wives, submit to your husbands. We always love that phrase. Every guy thinks it's the greatest phrase ever. In fact, it's been used to to demean marriages. Um, It's been used to be abusive. It's been used for all kinds of wrong reasons. But see, I want to say the key to that entire passage of Scripture is that 21st verse. Submit to one another. See, in fact, I, w- I want to say that I'm convinced that, that even Paul would, would agree with me that we could, we could say it this way. Husbands, submit to your wives. Wives, love your husbands as Christ loves the church. See, I sometimes I hear people say things like this, like, well, you know, in our marriage it's 51-49. I'm, I'm the 51, she's the 49. So if, it, if push comes to shove, we're, well, that's really probably not a good thing. What's probably a better thing is this, that we recognize in our marriages certain people have certain strengths in certain areas, and they lead in those areas. In our marriage, I use this example. If we, if we were to take out a loan or to invest money in long-term, I'm typically the one who reads all the paperwork and decides what we're going to do. And if we're balancing the checkbook, my wife does that, because when we were first married, I, she asked me a question, how much money is in our checkbook? And I said, I don't know, 50 bucks and... It was like five or ten or something like that. I don't remember. It was close. I knew we had money coming in the next day. We were fine. That was the last time I balanced our checkbook. Um, good with money. She just doesn't trust me to the penny. So there were different strengths and weaknesses in our relationships. And so to say, well, I'm going to lead in these areas, yet I have no giftedness in them is a really a bad idea. Don't rush to say that we submit to one another and we begin to recognize, well, you know what? Man, my wife is great at this stuff. By the way, I don't decorate anything in our house. She's much better at that than I am. I don't pay anything either, but that's another conversation. Uh, But we find that there are people that are better in in certain things in relationships and that's not a bad thing. See, I, I think what Paul is trying to say here is that marriage should look a lot like Jesus and a lot less like everything else. In fact, in Paul's day, women weren't hi- highly valued. And so this is a revolutionary text. And we read and go, oh, <laughs> jerk. But in, but in Paul's day, the, a prayer by a Jew would often sound like this. I thank God that I'm not a Gentile. I thank God that I'm not a slave. And I thank God that I'm not a woman. That was a pretty common prayer. Several scholars will, will reference that prayer. In fact, one of the things that happened, and we say, "Well, in the Jewish world, well, what well, about marriage? Because there was this covenant in the Old Testament. What, what, what that look like?" Well, in fact, people took Deuteronomy chapter twenty-four, verse one, which says um, that if a wife should become displeasing to her husband, he can divorce her. In fact, what what most rabbis or, or the, the the good rabbis recognized was that meant in terms of adultery. If your wife had an affair, you could leave her. But there were some other rabbis that kind of came on the scene and they began to say, well, you know, if if she doesn't smell good enough or if you like a younger version, you can go for that one and that's okay too. That isn't what God ever intended, and so we see Jesus and Paul kind of readdressing this and, and twisting that around. So Paul's words here actually, in fact, changed the Western world's understanding of marriage. Because in Paul's day, not only were Jews getting divorced easily, but in the Roman and Greek world, it wasn't any better. In fact, it was not uncommon for men and women to be married 10 to 20 times in that world. I think it's bad today. It was way worse then. It's just easier to get a divorce. See, they had brought into what we sometimes buy into today, that marriage is about me. It's about my happiness. It's about what I want in life. It's about my spouse providing what I need. But in fact, I'm convinced that the scriptures and Jesus himself doesn't ever say marriage should look like that. In fact, what he says is the opposite. Marriage is about serving one another. It's about equal submission to each other. It's about putting your spouse ahead of yourself. It's why Paul uses this phrase, to love as Christ loves the church, this unfailing, never-ceasing, no matter what kind of love. That's a different kind of love. It's not the kind of love that works on romantic comedies. It's not the kind that works on TV. It's the kind that's there when your spouse is hurt or sick or when life is hard. It's a different kind of love. See, I also would say this, that some people say, well, you know, Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians, just don't get married. And that's true. He does say that. Basically says if you can't not have sex, then get married because that's better than having sex without being married. That's the point. But then also I would say this about Paul. Paul was pretty high up in the Sanhedrin before he became a follower of Jesus, and and to become pretty high up in the Sanhedrin, you had to at some point be married. It's the only way it was ever going to happen. Paul was likely married. It may shock you to hear that. I'd never hear about his wife, but Paul was very likely married. And so there are two reasons given to, as to why Paul is so critical of marriage. In his letter to Corinth. One reason is it's right after the resurrection of Jesus. It's not too long after that. It's not too long after his conversion. And they still were convinced that Jesus was coming back that day. And so Paul's, Paul's view has changed as he writes this letter to the Ephesians. He's recognized that Jesus isn't coming back today, so getting married is a good idea. Procreating is a good idea. We need children to further the message of, of Christ in his kingdom. That, that's worthwhile. So, so he shifted for that reason alone. But that's where other scholars would say, well, you know what? He probably, it's likely, that when he converted to Christianity that his wife left him. And so he's responding out of a wounded place to his letter in Corinth. And so we see this letter in Ephesians as Paul's best understanding of what marriage is to look like. So I begin asking these questions. Well, what, what is Paul trying to say to us? What, what's the key to this passage? What, what are we supposed to understand in this? And I, and I guess I would, I would say it like this. Marriage is, is kind of hard it's worth it. Something of Christ loves is selfless. It's, it's not selfish. You know, there's a, an interesting thing that happened in the last two weeks. I can't remember the day, but I read a lot of news articles every day. And maybe you read the same article. Have, have you heard of Ashley Madison? If you haven't, that's a good thing, actually. So be glad. I'm glad if you haven't. See, so Ashley Madison's a website that exists with the sole purpose of helping, helping spouses cheat on their spouse. That's the goal of the website. You join anonymously, you pay, you use your credit card information, it's supposed to bill differently, all kinds of stuff. But apparently it got hacked by some online hackers, which I think is funny. Um, And so, so 37 million people are nervous right now. See, I'm more bummed that 37 million people have decided that their marriage isn't worth investing in. See, it's, it is hard. But it's worth it. See, it's one of those things where Paul is writing in such a way that he wants us to see that, that we've bought into the wrong image of marriage that's been about us and our needs, but marriage is about selflessness and sacrificial love. To love as Christ loves the church is never ceasing, never failing, no matter what. I hear things sometimes like he or she doesn't meet my needs and the reality is often what we see is that that person that we marry we expect them to change and be better but we can't change another person all we can do is change ourselves and the reality is if we loved in a selfless kind of way some of what we would love to see different in our spouse would probably happen And if we were so worried about loving selflessly, we would care less about our spouse and more about how we could serve them. See, I have to be honest, I I was a little bit selfish when I asked my wife to marry me. uh, For lots of reasons, but one of the selfish reasons was the way I asked her to marry me. I I asked her at the church I worked at at the time, and and I asked her to come in, and I had her sit in the front row, and and it was awkward for her, I know, And, and I... I took a wet rag and I wiped her feet down as a, as a symbol, as a, as a model of sacrificial love. As where well, I could say to her that I hope I remember to love you as Christ loves His church. To serve you. Not just to be served by you. See, and so that was a reminder for me even when marriage was hard that, that it wasn't just about me that I made her a promise and a commitment that I needed to see through. And that's the reality for us in marriage that we have to work And I want to say that the key to this whole passage is verse 21. Submit to one another. Um, Don't quit fighting for your marriage. Don't allow anything or anyone to come in between you. Don't quit trying. See, I, I, I was thinking about some practical advice because I'm not, I, as you've probably learned, I'm not great at giving like practical advice. I'm usually good at the theoretical and just kind of leave you and go figure it out yourselves, um, which I know isn't necessarily a good thing, but that's the way my mind works. So I, I would say this. It's about selfless love, not selfish love. I've never had a couple come in. I've never watched a marriage struggle. I've never watched anyone have problems when they came in and they said, you know, he's so selfless in his love for me. I'm so selfless for him. No, what I hear is, he doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. If she would just do this, then I would just do this. And the reality is, you've already missed, missed the point. Yeah, the question isn't, what can they do for me? The question is this. How do we begin to ask the question, um, how can I show you love? What can I do so that you know that I love you? See, that question isn't about how I want to give love. It's about how they want to receive love. That's selfless love, not selfish. See, we, we live in a world that we're very much narcissists. It's about us. We live in an I world, iPhone, I everything. It's me, it's mine. And marriage is about selfless love, not selfish love. And it's so hard for us to live into that. See, marriage says, how can I show you love? How can I give you love? It doesn't say, why can't you be more like him or her? See, I guess I would say it even more like this. Um, we sometimes in our spouses see our own flaws. Like, it's not that they try to point them out, it just becomes obvious to us in conversations that where we fall short, it's not them falling short, it's us becoming aware of where we fall short. See, marriage is about us becoming holy, not necessarily happy, although I hope your marriage is happy. And so here's some practical advice. And my wife gave me a dirty look when I told her this section last night. She said, you might want to change that, and so I did a little bit. Um, Wives, don't nag at your husband. It doesn't make him want to be a better husband. It makes him feel less, and it builds resentment. Nagging doesn't look like love or respect. Period. Submission and love want to build up, not tear down. Husbands, don't live into the male stereotypes. Do the little things. Be present in conversations. Serve your wife. Husbands, if you want to look like Jesus, it's called serving your spouse. you don't want your wife to act like a mom then act like a man and women he isn't your son See, I could give all kinds of examples but I'm not going to do that that's just make sure in public and in private we build up our spouse we don't tear them down there's nothing more uncomfortable for people than when you talk badly about your spouse in front of someone else it makes everyone else uncomfortable so if we're going to talk critical, we better do that at home and private with them, not in public. Honor looks better than that. Respect looks better than that. Love looks better than that. See, I would say the marriage is like great music. If I sat down at this piano right now and tried to play Beethoven or Mozart, I promise you it would be horrific. In fact, I know no music whatsoever. I can barely look and tell whether I know if it goes up, you're supposed to sound higher. If it goes lower, you're supposed to sound lower. I took two years, and I still know nothing. But I know this, that if you sit down the first time and you try to play Mozart or Beethoven or some classical pianist or some classical piece, you won't be able to do it because you're not even sure where the keys are if you haven't learned yet. But once you begin to learn and you begin practicing, yeah, every once in a while you hit some bad notes, but man, every once in a while there's a string, there's a section where you just get it right. I should have asked Denise to play the piano this morning. It would have been great, or Joni, or, or some of you others who are capable of doing that, not I. And when you hear it just right, you know it was good. And that's what marriage is like. There are moments when it's, it's the wrong key, and you've got to get it figured out, and it's work. And it's hard. But there are other moments. When you're hitting the right keys, and the music's playing so beautifully, you know that this is what marriage is meant to be. See, I'm convinced that God wants your marriage to be holy and happy. I'm convinced God wants us to find joy in our relationship to our spouse. I'm convinced the greatest gift we can ever give children is a great marriage. I'm convinced that for some of you, you've been through all kinds of things, and God wants to create a beautiful relationship and marriage, and it's never too late for God to do that in the midst of your home and in your life. Never too late. See, maybe you've been wondering why this, um, this little carving is here. Um, I've been at the church maybe, I don't know, two or three months. By the way, I've been here two years now, uh, last Sunday. I didn't say anything last week because we had other people talking, but I'll just tell you. Um, it feels longer and shorter all at the same time. But a guy came in and he said, you got a minute? And I was like, sure, yeah, what's up? And he started talking and, and he said, uh, I finally figured out how to be a good husband. Good. A uh, little, little odd man, I mean, just a little off, and I was like, that's great, man. I, how can I help? Can I help you married? Where's your wife? And he goes, well, she's dead. Oh, um, I'm not sure how this conversation is going at this point. And he said, well, you see, I uh, I was married for like 30 years, and uh, it took until the last about month for me to really feel out what selfless, not selfish love looked like, and being to love my wife as I was supposed to, and to serve her as God tells us we're supposed to, and I said, well, that's great. And he said, yeah, but the problem was she only wrote for like another month after I began to realize what that should really look like. I said, I'm sorry. He goes, I was so devastated that I, I tried to run my car into a tree and kill myself, but I didn't die. In fact, I went back the next day and I cut off a piece of that tree and these two hearts are from that tree. So you see, I began to see that, that marriage is about this two people becoming one. And so he called this, he actually had a phrase, I want to make sure I get it right. So, um, he said, this is titled, Heart Standing on the Rock, Always Bend Together in the Wind. Um, in other words, his point was this, that in marriage, it's two people coming together. It's two people saying that I, I'm, we, we're to be like God is in this way, that God functions as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I know that's crazy to understand and hard to, to picture. And we'll, deal with that some other time but marriage is to be two people seeking to blend in together and he says standing on the rock meeting Jesus so there's two people seeking after Jesus with all that they are in selfless sacrificial love and so this sits on a shelf in my office and I, I look at it every so often as a reminder to make sure that my marriage looks like that but also to encourage other people's to make sure that their marriage looks like that as well And so I want to tell you this morning that I don't know where you find yourself in the midst of that. You may be single, married, divorced. I don't know where you are. I might, but I I mean, I just, anyway. I want to say that God wants you to seek after Him. To put your marriage on a foundation of love and sacrificial love and selflessness, not selfishness. When we begin to see pictures, and some of you have seen the pictures of couples who love in selfless ways. And it's like beautiful music. It just looks right. So I would encourage you to make sure, whether you're husband or wife, to submit to your spouse, to love them selflessly as Christ loves the church. See, in just a moment, we're going to take communion. And we take communion this morning as a reminder of Christ's selfless love, of his sacrificial love, that he would lay down his life and we take the bread and we take the cup and we say, this is the broken body. This is the one who, who loved in such a way that he died and he, his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. This is the example of marriage for you and I that we would lay down our lives for the person that we marry. And after we take communion, we're going to sing a song uh, called Healer, because maybe that's where your marriage is today. It needs to be healed. This is why um, in November we have a marriage retreat coming. It's why we're going to talk about marriage again next week. It's why I could probably talk about this almost every single week. But I want you to know that God can do incredible, incredible things in your home and in your family. And you begin begin to love your spouse in ways you never knew you could. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask as I pray that those I've asked to help with communion would come forward and... uh, and Jordan's just going to play for a few moments while we take communion. After we take communion, we'll head back to our seats and we'll all take communion together and then we'll, we'll sing a song. And I, I just want to remind you this morning that God calls us to be selfless and sacrificial, to submit to one another and to love as Christ loves the church. And we begin to move into that and we become the husbands and the wives that God's called us to. And if you're not married today, then I encourage you, to encourage others around you to make sure they're living out that kind of life. And be the encourager where it's needed. Father, we help us in these moments as we prepare to take communion. We help us to make sure our marriages are sacrificial and selfless. And so we pray today that as we take these elements that represent the sacrificial, selfless love of Jesus, that our lives would be defined by that as well. Help us be reminded that every one of our relationships is to look like that. And may we be so focused on you. That we look more and more like Jesus every day. May we be reminded this morning that just as we receive grace in these elements, that your grace is for us. And may we be quick to offer grace to our husband or our wife. May we be quick to give love to them as well. We thank you for who you are. For the way you're at work here among us. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Open communion in our church means that anybody who wants to come and say Jesus is Lord is invited to the table because we believe God invites everybody to the table. So this morning we invite you to stand where you are and head down these middle outside aisles and then just head back to your section if you'd like to come. Come to the table, uh, take the elements, and we'll eat them together.